This is The Waycast is a podcast where we recap every Star Wars episode as they are released on Disney+. This is your spoiler alert, and you have been warned. Sukuigar shinies and regs, welcome to another episode of This is the Waycast, the Bad Batch edition. I'm Sarah Edwards, the resident Star Wars writer at Boardwalk Times. And I'm Giovanni Donadio, a columnist at the Boardwalk Times. This week, we are recapping Season 1, Episode 10 of Disney Plus's The Bad Batch called Common Ground, where the Batch go to Raxus to rescue a Separatist senator, and Omega finds a way to keep herself busy. Now, this was a very different episode from what we've seen. It felt like a season four slash season five episode of Clone Wars. I was just thinking, I think the main reason it feels that way is because Omega isn't in the mission. Yeah. Like a lot of it stems from the fact that almost every single episode has had Omega in it as like a main part of the group. But for this one, she takes a step back, which I thought was interesting because it makes logical sense for Hunter to be very afraid after she gets captured by Cad Bane and all this stuff, he's like, ah, there's too much heat on us. So please stay behind. Like he's worried now that taking her on missions maybe isn't the smartest idea. And we get to see the Bad Batch and how they operated pre-end of Clone Wars. So it was very interesting. Like the action scenes, we see a lot of like droid poppers coming back. Yes. And CTEs and very swift like tactical stuff so I was like it's interesting and I think that's the main reason is Omega takes a step back but we get to learn more about her too we do and I oh I love her so much every episode and it's funny that you say that yeah Hunter's more on edge because the Batch don't know that it was the Kaminoans that hired the bounty hunters they think it's Empire Trace they they have no idea who really wants her we know who wants Omega the Batch does not and it's kind of sad that you say like it's a reminiscent of pre-Bad Batch, how they operated, because they don't have Crosshair. Crosshair is still not with us. So it's like, if Echo were a part of the Batch earlier on with Crosshair, this is exactly how it would be like. It's funny you say that, too. There is a shot in this episode where they imply that Wrecker's about to make a long shot. And I was like, isn't it like something reserved for Crosshair? And of course he doesn't do it. Instead, it's like a grapple line and then they knock out the guy anyway. But I was like, you totally can tell that would have been a crosshair moment. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. That's right. And um, Echo in this episode doesn't really get to do anything um, too crazy with his uh, scomp link arm. He just uses his normal skills. But what's interesting about it is he's the one providing more commentary on the issue at hand with the separatists, which I thought that was really interesting. Um, I did want to hear more of it, though, especially coming from Echo. Yeah. But I did really like that angle. I think that's why I really like this episode is they show a new side of the Empire or like the Imperial occupation that I feel like we haven't seen yet in uh, any like media. I'm pretty sure it's in the novels and like books. But this is this was just very cool to see. The opening scene for me was like, wow, okay, like this is a different kind of Bad Batch episode, like more political like the Clone Wars stuff was. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to go more into the significance of the Separatists being in this episode as well as Raxus right after this quick ad break. Stay tuned. Welcome back, Regs and Shinies. All right, let's get into it. So the Separatists, we really never found out what happened to the Separatists. The only inkling that we get was an episode of Rebels when they find these droids hidden away on a planet and they're still in, you know, Republic versus Separatist mode. They don't realize that the Empire has taken over. So this was the transition of how the Separatists handled it. 
Yeah, and it reminds me a lot. Um, Raxus, there's a family on Raxus from Clone Wars. I know you remember the name. I don't want to mispronounce it. The Bonteries. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the Bonteries. Yeah, I, I knew it. I was oh, get it. Anyway, <laughs> I know the Bonteries are on Raxus, and I remember their entire thing with Ahsoka and like, oh, you know, the Separatists aren't all bad, which is true. And some Separatists did believe in Count Dooku's message and like, oh, the Republic is going to fail. Which ironically, his master was puppeting the Republic the entire time to win because he knew the Republic was way more powerful than the Separatists. So it's interesting to see this guy who's like, I just care about my people. So he really did believe in the Separatist ideology, but he and, and like freedom, right? Which is what they wanted from the Republic, supposedly, even though at the time during the war, it was kind of like pretty black and white, at least in Clone Wars, who was the good and bad guys. But in this, it's interesting because. The Empire just comes in and it's like, oh, we're the Republic, but like way worse. And so like, here's a bunch of extra security and we're going to threaten you to say things you don't want to say. And you know, you have to keep your mouth shut. It was very interesting. Um, I really, really like that. And it's it's cool that he cares so much about his people that at the end of the episode, he even he, he feels conflicted about leaving them behind on some mission. And I wanted to go back on the little arc that Echo has, because Yes, I, w- I also would have loved that to be expanded more. Like, I kind of would have liked Echo to talk with this senator a little bit, just to be like, well, why do you believe that? Because it brought me back to the deserter episode where Rex is trying to tell Cut, like, you do need to fight in this war. The Separatists could make your family and everyone live under a horror. And yet here we see Raxus and people are just trying to survive. So I kind of would have liked a little more of that arc as well. But this episode had, like we said, a lot of reminiscence. I loved the sound of the droid poppers. I loved the sounds of the walkers. Like I missed all that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's how I felt. I was like, dang, this, like, I didn't realize how foreign that felt. Like hearing that stuff <laughs> yeah. again. It's like, dang, like, because here's the thing, I... Recently, for the audience, I'm actually not in town right now where I'd usually record. So I was watching, rewatching Clone Wars on the ride over here in uh, to Louisiana, and I was like, "Wow, I forgot how like how different this show is from the rest of them are now because Clone Wars evolved as it went on." Yeah. And what was interesting is there's a lot of like action scenes and then like specific banter or like political ideologies during the scenes sometimes, um, and there'll be like little pauses so it's interesting is that in this episode the pauses mostly are for when omega is messing around with sid which is awesome too like we get to see sid like she's still i'm totally like yeah right she acts all tough and whatever she's calling her boy um hunter bandana (laughs) all the time and and tech goggles like it's funny but but it was fun to have omega like show that oh yeah i'm a strategist like i understand strategy which is interesting because we we haven't really found that out about her yet like she's been a noob at like almost everything <laughs> and it would make sense that she's the background like because the batch their strategies are always like okay we have these set battle plans that we can just throw in at any time for a tactical advantage because we're so good at it right but having like a set strategy like behind the scenes i think that would make omega like it makes her role better for the batch because she doesn't have to necessarily be on the battlefield you know all the time yeah she can, like be in the ship monitoring so it's really cool she's the guy in the chair type <laughs> here and, yeah she is and what was interesting about that is we see it through hollow chess which i mean isn't this like one of the few times we've ever seen hollow chess animated like yeah in- the only other time mm-hmm. i can really think about it is back in the deserter when it's rex and cut playing yeah. the rest it seems like they're playing 
Sabak. I don't know how to pronounce it, but I hope that's how it's, it's pronounced. Sabak. Sabak. Okay. <laughs> I just like seeing more like, I love when we get to see a little bit of the casual side of Star Wars because I feel like it's always, you know, formal army business. So you got to be your professional self or as professional as you can. We're talking about lives. We're talking about war. So anytime we get to see these little casual moments of what life is really like are my favorite. And I guess that's kind of fan fiction-y of me, but I mean, it's, it's adorable to see. Like, I also wanted to point out how the batch has slowly gotten closer with Omega, which we've known, but like, you know, record carries her everywhere now. And you know, the clones seem to stand closer to her. Whereas in the beginning, they're kind of like, what do we do with this kid? Like, do, do we hug her? Do we help her on the board? <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot. I really like that by the end of this episode, she really does feel like Hunter can't live, you know, without her now. Like he even at one yeah. point turns back to, I think it was Tech, right? Yeah. And Tech's like, facts and logic. Where's Omega? <laughs> She's not here, which is really funny. And he's like, but, oh, can't show can't show that i forgot <laughs> and it's like oh man i'm excited to see what they do with her next episode like typical of this show we don't know what's gonna happen in the next yeah. episode so i feel like another thing that i've been rewatching, um avatar yet again i make the comparison something i noticed in that show the way they lengthened the seasons was by having one episode be about some some like thing that gets a character stuck like something they have to learn like a character arc moment then the next episode immediately pays it off with like some crazy action scene or something or like some conflict or drama and in this show i feel like the same is true when you have this uh last episode it's like oh no kind of being in fennec shand omega has to escape and now you have um omega learning what her role in the batch is like her special skill which i think is cool because um they kind of sort of with the bow Bo's being a precision weapon, I kind of assumed she was going to take up Crosshair's role, but I'm glad that yeah. she isn't because it makes it makes them missing Crosshair feel more genuine. Like, yeah, more it genuine. It hurts that. more. Yeah, it hurts more that way. So I was like, <laughs> so I was like, oh dang, this is so cool. And one thing I do want to mention as well, um, since we're talking about reminiscing on old shows, uh, one thing that I also really liked about the opening, there are a lot more alien races in this show than before i'm pretty sure from both rebels and clone wars yeah and it feels like that has to do with the up the budget because something that is very obvious especially in rebels is when they reuse assets a lot and um all throughout like that we've seen like yeah exactly it feels like, like you can tell but in bad batch we've seen so many aliens that it's like oh man like this is what I loved about um, watching like Mandalorian where you see all the real costumes and stuff. I love seeing it in animation too. And now that the budget is so high, it feels way more natural and makes the planets look so cool because Raxus is so cool. Like so beautiful. Also, yeah. I've seen so many Pantorans since we've left Pantora. Yes. And Pantorans are yes. probably my favorite species because I love Senator Chuchi. So just being able to see like some favorite species sprinkled in in the crowd instead of the same character mold is just like, it just feels so much like the high, the quality feels higher. The rate of the show feels higher. Like it, it in a way it feels kind of like a video game. Yeah, actually. Yeah. This episode did feel like a video game in a way. Um, funny enough, because of the mission stuff where they're like stealthing around and then and they get into combat at the end. It's like, oh no, we alerted the guards. Totally video game moment right there. <laughs> but yeah, Pantoran was specifically the race I was thinking about. Funny that you mentioned it. I, I, I always thought the Pantorans were the coolest thing ever. Yeah. 
Yes. Because um, weren't they the episodes with the the snow uh, trooper? Like, yeah. Yeah, that was so. Trespass I love season one. Yes, it's like that wow, that's such a throwback. Those are so. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, Pantoran's rock. So another thing that I've noticed kind of follows like locations. I noticed this especially from episode nine and it started out in eight but I didn't want I wasn't sure the settings have kind of gotten a little more not smoky but kind of like faded like there's a angelic feel almost there's a lot more like softer light in all of the settings like that wannabe Camino it was very smoky it was very eerie lots of like blues and just very what's the word I'm thinking of not like ethereal but mystical Yes, mystical. It fe- yeah, I, I got that feeling too. Because like the epi- there was something about the setting. I'm like, the colors feel different. They don't feel, I mean, in Sid's bar, of course, they're harsher because it's a bar. But the other settings, like they, the light is not as harsh. The colors are not as, they don't pop out as much. They kind of like fade a little bit. I really like that. And it kind of started when they were back on Braca on, in episode eight, like especially, you know, after Crosshair was burned by the engine, things just started to get kind of smoky. It's funny you mentioned that I, uh, that was the detail I really liked that I had forgotten about in the episode. Like there's these really long light shafts that they've been using in the past yes. two episodes, like you said, on the old Kaminoan facility. There's just something about it that feels very, obviously cinematic is, that's kind of a blanket term, but like you said, I think angelic and mystical are better like ways to describe it, but it made it really interesting because we're seeing like all these like fancy explosion of destruction effects done in like at such a high level <laughs> going back to like old clone wars it feels weird yeah because you see all this dust and debris and the light pouring through it and casting shadows i mean it's like come on it's just, it's just way too good <laughs> like, oh, i know and i've noticed we've gotten a lot more views of like us watching the ship fly in whereas like clone wars era was we're watching the ship fly away from us bad batch is very much like we are with the ship on the outside watching if that makes sense audience i apologize if it doesn't but we focus a lot on the skies and i really love seeing the details of the clouds and everything it's just so beautiful like i i I really it's hard for me to hate on this show because of how advanced we've come from rebels and clone wars like i'm i'm enjoying the ride and if i'm not enjoying the storyline i'm enjoying the graphics because you see all this dust and debris and the light pouring through it and casting shadows i mean it's like come on it's just just way too good (laughs) I know and I've noticed we've gotten a lot more views of like us watching the ship fly in whereas like Clone Wars era was we're watching the ship fly away from us Bad Batch is very much like we are with the ship on the outside watching if that makes sense audience I apologize if it doesn't but we focus a lot on the skies and I really love seeing the details of the clouds and everything it's just so beautiful like I, I I really it's hard for me to hate on this show because of how advanced we've come from Rebels and Clone Wars. Like, I'm I'm enjoying the ride. And if I'm not enjoying the storyline, I'm enjoying the graphics and the, the photos. Like, it's so beautiful. And another great aspect, and now that I can openly talk in more detail about it, is the soundtrack, which oh. has, the first half has been officially released as of last week. And uh, I listened to it a bunch. Um, Omega's theme is an instant favorite for me. I really, really liked it. I was like, oh my God, this is just way too good. Like for TV production, it's, it just blows almost everything else out of the water. So yeah, Omega's theme is amazing. 
Um, the rest of the music's really, really good. There's just kind of like too much to cover, which is why I'm thinking about covering it on my own show. You should. Which, yes, which should be coming out or starting sometime in July, I hope, with Mandalorian season two, which I've also been listening to and doing research on. But yes, th- this soundtrack is just way too good. Like every single episode has um, new music in it, which is very rare for television, but obviously with a budget like this and hopefully time, I, I hope they weren't rushed to do this, but either way, they're doing an excellent job. Every single episode has its own music. They don't really reuse tracks at all. No. Um, and like I said, that's super rare in television. Usually they reuse tracks and then maybe they'll throw in one or two new ones, but no, the entire show is scored differently minus obviously the opening and end credits every and a single few of the time. motifs. Yes. Yeah. The motifs are definitely reused, but in such a way that it fits the scene. Like there was a really cool part in this uh, episode where they're sneaking around and the Bad Batch motif has a more sneaky like thing, which they had done earlier oh, in the season. Oh, God. But it was more yeah. I was like, oh, this is like next level stuff, like really, really high quality cinematic level stuff for, for a TV show, an animated show. Really impressive. Um, I, I definitely want to talk more about that in detail once the second album of the second half of the season comes out, which will have a live orchestra in it, as we know, because of the finale. They recorded that with a live orchestra. I'm very excited about that. Which means it's yeah. going to destroy, like, the the volume one of the music already plowed through my heart. The live oh. orchestra is just going to, like, the final punch. <laughs> I wanted to kind of trample on your territory just a hair with music. I think the piece that stood out the most to me is probably Shan's piece, because hers had a lot of remnants of Clone Wars action music, like specifically the malevolence when Anakin, Ahsoka, and Master Plo are trying to escape from the malevolence and the malevolence is firing up. There's that action music that's playing. And if you listen closely in Shan's piece, you kind of hear it slowed down and in more of like with more emphasis, like it's more dramatic. I heard it immediately. Yeah, definitely. It's... um. It's something that I felt like uh, with, and this is obviously a stylistic thing. In Rebels, you can definitely tell that they were trying to do the original trilogy, like because yeah. the show is set closer to that than the Clone Wars and stuff. So they're emulating that while also having like it had its own unique flavor of Star Wars music with like Ezra's theme, Sabine, Kanan, etc. They were very like kind of almost funny that I I'm gonna use the same word as earlier, mystical feeling about them and. Clone Wars is very militaristic. Which, I mean, duh, because it's Clone <laughs> Wars. And the prequel music is all very militaristic, which is probably why it's so yeah. catchy, because a lot of it is marches, which John Williams is, is like super known for. And yeah, Fennec Shan's little motif, I, I can't remember what instrument it was they said they pitched down, kind of like how Ludwig Gorenson used a bass recorder and, and put a bunch of uh, filters on it to get the sound for Mandalorian. They did something similar for Fennec for her little motif, and then the actual piece of music associated with her, which I assume is during the chase on mm-hmm. Pantora, I was like, dang, like, this is, <laughs> like you said, it really is old school, like, Clone Wars action music, which there has been quite a bit of um, in this show, which, I mean, is exciting because we're not just, like, throwing in the Imperial March constantly because the full empire isn't here. I like that they hold back on that kind of stuff when it's unnecessary, you know, similar to how Mandalorian doesn't just reuse themes all the time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we'll have to see if any other like old school type music comes back, if any other people appear. Because I mean, we got like 
the cowboy stuff with Cad Bane, which was sick. Yeah, that, was like, that was awesome. So cool. So cool. The only thing I was disappointed in about the volume one release is they didn't have the little motif that's playing when Wrecker and Omega are sharing the Mantel mix on the cruiser. I was specifically waiting for that piece because I I cried so hard during that scene. I was going to kind of use that piece as like a, I'm going to expose myself here, as like a cry, a piece to listen to when you're sad but can't cry. (laughs) I was so looking forward to it. And then I listened through and I was like, oh, it's not here. So kind of sad about that, Kiner Brothers. But other than that, awesome work. (laughs) Yeah, you know they're saving that for the second album when they drop all those really sad uh, pieces of music from the ending. So to our listeners, just be prepared for the finale when I'm just sniffling a lot and probably getting emotional. (laughs) If you haven't tell, if you couldn't tell that Star Wars plays with my emotions. (laughs) So that's what's coming. And speaking of playing with emotions, the the last scene of this episode was I thought was... (gasps) amazing i was i was like because you know you know hunter's gonna eventually give in because everyone's telling him like ah you're being a jerk blah 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 (laughs) i mean he has legitimate concerns he's like he's like i don't want to get caught like bounty hunters are too much trouble and everything but but then he's like you know what fine we'll play a game and it's like and it fades to black daughter bonding (laughs) so good i was like immediately the queen's gambit comparison came up i mean even the the framing of the final shot is like yeah. sort of queen's gambit so i was like yeah omega's gambit and then i find this meme where they photoshopped her face on the uh anna taylor joy's face and i was like okay clones gambit perfect, perfect. <laughs> that's exactly what it was i was like man that's that's such a like fun like kind of like a fulfilling way to end up so the fades of black every time they use Fade to Black in Clone Wars and Rebels. It, it just instantly makes me feel really, <laughs> really good. I don't know. Well, yeah. really bad for the most part, technically, emotionally. But, but it, it gives you like this warm feeling. Um, I don't know. flutters because my, my heart fluttered the same way. Because the last time I remember them using Fade to Black was episode three when they had just given Omega her own room. And oh. that, that scene is perfection because we have the fade to black and the music is like ending very lightly and gently. And it's like, oh, like emotionally, I'm just like, why is this so cute? But also I'm like, this is adorable. Yeah, but see, yeah. for me, it's Ahsoka leaving. That, that, uh, leaving oh, the Jedi it. Temple. That, that's, why, that's why I associate the fade to black in these shows with because it's just, that that was like, masterfully done so in this i'm like wow this is i felt obviously it's not as like emotionally stressful but i still felt the same way like i don't know how to describe it i was like oh so nice like the music fading peaceful yeah peaceful yeah the little bit of peace that they can experience while on the run like that warms my heart because they're constantly running and hunter is like the kid needs a break and like they're still trying to learn how to treat her like a sister and not a soldier and so any moment that they get some kind of peace is just like, I feel peace from that. Honestly, I'm just waiting for when Hunter breaks and gives Omega a hug. Like that's when me and probably all of the other uh, clone TikTokers are probably going to just explode. <laughs> he keeps teasing it. She's giving him a mini hug and he's almost given her a hug. I just wanted Omega Hunter hug. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Series, that's probably going to be one of those heartstring moments at the end where they tug on them. 
We're going to see Hunter and Omega give a hug. We're going to see Crosshair cry. Probably not, but that I'm still holding on to that as my final prediction. But we'll get there. So much to get to. I for know. These next, how many episodes are left now? Like We have six episodes left. Mm-hmm. I'm not ready. <laughs> yeah, this doesn't even feel right. Oh, my goodness. Oh, but this leads right into the last topic I wanted to talk about. Um, we didn't go too much into detail about it last week, but... The more I thought about it, Bad Batch is setting up for Book of Boba Fett. Like, I think Bad Batch, not it was going to always serve as its own, like, spinoff to the Clone Wars. But I think it's essentially preparing you for what Boba Fett is going to be like. Like, just the mention of him in last week's episode when we confirmed that Omega is basically Boba's sister. Like, they are identical. That To me, that confirmed that Omega could possibly have a role in Boba Fett. And... Fennec Shand is in Bad Batch and she's in Boba Fett. So I feel like, you know, they're they're setting us up, but they're not giving away too much at all. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do think that there's like some light set up here for even other future stuff, maybe. But mainly Book of Boba Fett because all the bounty hunter stuff. I mean, come on, you don't just like drop Cad Bane and Fennec Shand in the no. same show. No. And then... I've mentioned it last week. I'm pretty sure about the War of the Bounty Hunters comic book event going on where they're just dropping new bounty hunters in left and right. And I'm like, Book of Boba Fett feels like because of that, it's going to be about Boba Fett, like the ultimate bounty hunter in people's eyes. He, he has to fight other bounty hunters, right? Or they have to talk about bounty hunter lore and what better way to set up for it than have his supposed, you know, identical twin sister. <laughs> It's like, oh man, it'd be interesting to see who would play her, you know, in live action yeah. and way older too. Um, it, it'd be even more interesting if, um, not more interesting, just weird if she doesn't show up at all, which like, that wouldn't surprise me, but I do still yeah. feel like there's like some obvious like hinting going on. Too many bounty under references, Boba yeah. got think, Yeah, it just feels weird if she doesn't show up somehow. Like, there has to be some kind of middle ground. Like, either Boba shows up in Clone Wars, which I don't think is going to happen. I think that would kind of throw things off a little bit. Or the other is Omega either shows up in Book of Boba Fett or Boba finds out about Omega in Book of Boba Fett. Because Shand and Omega now know each other. Like, they kind of know each other by name. They recognize each other. And now she knows Boba, too. So it would kind of make sense that it's like... They connect somehow. I would also just, the way I pictured it is I was really like to see Omega and Boba have like a mini heart to heart where Omega's like, so what was, I guess, our dad like? And Boba's like, he was the best man in the, he was the best dad in the galaxy or something. Like kind of see Boba get emotional. It's probably wishful thinking in the romantic in me, but be so cute. (laughs) And it's, it's funny, just thinking about it, like for Omega's future specifically, She's already technically a mercenary and mm-hmm. it's all she's ever known besides Camino. When you think about it, it's like being a bounty hunter is not that far off. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Although it did be, you know, it would be kind of weird. Mandalorians only exist to be bounty hunters or yeah. complain about Mandalore. It's like, <laughs> I guess it's, it's like, you never know, right? I was trying to piece together like when Omega could have been born. Cause if, if she's not anti, if she doesn't age, I think she was around for, I'm assuming she was born either right after Attack of the Clones or she was literally being born or produced during Attack of the Clones. She would have been, when you think about it, the timeline kind of makes sense. Like beginning of Clone Wars, she kind of grew up during Clone Wars. 
And then, you know, here we are post episode three and she, everyone says she's 12, but I was like, oh, she seems eight or nine to me. I, I'm still hung up on the fact that Django Fett just wanted to be a dad. And so I think Omega has probably been around during like around episode two and he just wanted to have a daughter too. <laughs> so something Attack of the Clones related, since you mentioned it, it just popped in my head. This is a fun little shout out. So as we all know from last week, Ton Wee is dead after only being in, in Attack of the Clones. And did she even appear in Clone Wars at all? Because I think it was just uh, Lama Sue and Nala Se, right? I think she has an appearance, but I don't yeah. think she actually, like, does anything. Yeah. Well, fun bit of trivia, and I didn't know this until this week. Ton Wee from Attack of the Clones... Uh, the actress, she got to play Tanwi again in this show. It's the oh, exact wow. same actress. Yeah, they didn't even get like a voice actor to impersonate. They just got the same person. I was like, that is awesome. Like Aww. for such a small role. And then she dies. Did she dies? <laughs> so tragic. Dad, Tanwi's here. So, <laughs> like I joked about that last week, but it's still like, dang. Like, Dad, Tanwi's dead. Like, the voice actor gets called <laughs> back like, oh, hey, we need your help again. And oh, by the way, your character is going to die. So this is your last chance. <laughs> like, In a way, I mean, I feel like that's how Book of Boba Fett is going to be. Like, I feel like after Book of Boba Fett and if he shows up in Mandalorian season three, I feel like that's it. We're going to see of Mr. Tamora Morrison, which makes me really sad. <laughs> so I don't know if like I, I've ever mentioned this in any other podcast, but from some of the crew merchandise, it looks like Book of Boba Fett is going to be seasoned or like an <gasps> ongoing series because <gasps> the crew merch literally says S1 or some of them just say straight up season one. And it's like, Dude. okay, so this isn't just like a limited series like everyone thought. Or at least that's what the merch indicates. You know, obviously that's not like final until Disney says something, but be pretty interesting to have Mando and Boba Fett have their shows like ongoing. So yeah, no, we, we don't know yet. Boba could persevere. You never know. Oh, I'm sure if Tamora Morrison is getting more than one season, he is over the moon. Because I still remember when he was like, I wanted to come back to Star Wars. And he finally did get to come back to Star Wars. If you haven't heard, if you haven't figured it out, I'm a huge Tamora Morrison fan. Like after he came back into Mandalorian, I was like, this man is so wholesome. Like he he's just chill. he's a set goofball. Like I love looking up the behind the scenes of Attack of the Clones because everyone else is so serious. And then Tamora Morrison's like, may the force be with you, bro. Dude is a total legend. So oh, love it's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting. One question is, do you think Boba would be accepting of Omega? Like, do you, because know, knowing Boba in this time, he's still kind of like whiny teen boy who's exiting puberty Boba. So like, do you think he would accept Omega or do you think he'd be like, um, screw off? I think the way you just put it perfectly, right now, he definitely wouldn't. I don't even know if by Return of the Jedi, he would, you know, give her any thought. Um, from the comic books that I've seen so far, he's like one of those, like, shoot first, ask questions later type people. Whereas in Book of Boba Fett, he seems more matured. Um, or sorry, in Mandalorian, he seems more mature uh, because he's like very honorable to Mando and like, oh, we're going to help you on your mission. So I definitely feel like if he was to meet Omega that far in the future, he'd be totally cool with it. And he'd want to learn more about his past because he I mean, the armor means a ton to him Yeah. because um, of, you know, Django. So it'd be interesting to find someone else just like him because he, he is he is a weird one. 
he he technically could be a part of the bad batch in a way because he's not like the other clones he doesn't have the accelerated aging even though <laughs> even though he looks super old <laughs> in mandalorian because of the senior tim but yes also tomorrow morrison is not 20 anymore <laughs> yeah, he's not so definitely old but yeah we shall we shall see i guess this is all like speculation at this point but yeah it's exciting i do agree i one thing i never thought about is boba's attitude is like a light switch like return of the jedi he was probably saying like kind of meh boba but then in mandalorian he's like honor he's like his dad he's like Django. i felt like I rewatched the episode a few days ago, but I felt like I was watching Django. I didn't feel like I was watching Boba. So I wonder if like he went through something that was like made him channel Django more. I don't know. I think I, I would love to just see, you know, is there, do we, I want to know more about Django because yes, there's the comics. Yes, there's the books, but like, I kind of want to visually see that on screen or at least see Boba like talk about his dad or like honor his dad. Cause it, you know, in the beginning, he's still like, Mace Windu killed my dad. I want to get revenge instead of honoring his memory. Yeah, I, I feel like there may or may not be. And we always say this flashbacks in Book of Boba Fett. I mean, if it's called the Book of Boba Fett, you can't just like not talk about other things he's done, you know? So we'll have yeah, to I know we're going to see how he escaped the Sarlacc. Like that feels yeah. like the most obvious duh moment. It might oh, even yeah. be in the first episode. So yeah definitely that feels like a given well either way i'm sad that bad batch is more than halfway over but i'm starting to get more and more excited for book of boba i kind of hope that the show like give us a few more hints about what the book of boba fett could be like because i'm i'm really liking the build-up i i also think that a lot of people who aren't watching bad batch are going to go right into book of boba fett and i think there are going to be some things that are they're like i don't know what's happening here because i think for people to truly understand Book of Boba Fett, I think it's going to be essential that they watch Clone some Clone Wars episodes that they go through Bad Batch. I feel like that's going to help them out a lot. Yeah, it definitely feels like these shows are becoming more and more essential. Like, I mean, come on, it was super obvious after Clone Wars Season 7 literally sets up Bad Batch and then leaves Ahsoka and Bo-Katan so that anyone who watched that season, even though they didn't watch Rebels, can be like, whoa, they're in Mandalorian. Like, definitely feels like everything's all interconnected now but in order of release well thanks for listening to another episode of this is the waycast the bad batch edition for more star wars content head over to boardwalktimes.net and follow us on twitter instagram and facebook at boardwalk times retvenge shinies This is the Waycast is a Boardwalk Times production produced and edited by me and Giovanni Delgadillo and music by Kevin McLeod.